And Father, we thank you today that we come into this place to celebrate your love. God, thank you for the mercy and grace that you so freely are offering us today. And we, we just want to pause for a moment, God, and just call out to you. God, would you meet with us in your mercy and in your grace? And would you take our hearts and take our minds and help us to focus on your outstretched arms waiting to just draw us to yourself? God, thank you for giving us just a glimpse of your love. And I pray that that vision of who you are and your great love for us would become the reality of our life as we continue now to worship you through the power of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and bring it to life in each one of us. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible again and open with me to 2 Peter uh, as we continue again our journey through this little letter way over in the back of the New Testament. June 6, 1975 is a very special day for me and my life. It was the day when Gail and I stood before an altar like this, and we devoted our life to spend the rest of our life honoring God through our marriage. These last 47 years have, have just been a, a journey. It's been an awesome journey, and tomorrow we look forward to celebrating that. We began our relationship in the church. Uh, I was a part-time uh, youth minister uh, in a local church where Gail was attending, and that was an awesome beginning for us. And over the last 47 years, she has faithfully served as a volunteer alongside of me in six other churches where we have had the privilege of serving the Lord together. Uh, together we've found serving the body of Christ as the local church, as the local body, uh, a time of excitement and exhilaration for us. Uh, life hasn't always been easy, and as we continue to grow together, we can also look back and we can learn from mistakes that we have made along the way. Believe me, I've made my share of mistakes along this journey. But I'm so thankful for God's grace. I'm so thankful for His forgiveness. And I'm so thankful for Gail's grace and Gail's forgiveness as well. You know, warnings are important in life. Uh, recently, I've heard a number of warnings. For example, I recently heard, watch out, don't hit that car. <laughs> I recently heard someone say, don't touch that paint, it's wet. Uh, all of us know what it's like living in this region, or even visiting in this region, what it's like to have storm warnings. I mean, some of us, how many of you were here during Hugo, Hurricane Hugo? Okay, back then warnings were not taken so seriously, but over the years and since then, I think warnings of hurricanes have become more and more and more reality to us. We know what warnings are like, and warnings are beneficial when they are heeded. And that's where God's Word takes us today. In this little letter of Second Peter, 
we're going to see that there is a warning that God is giving us from sins of people from the past. And we can learn from two sources. We can learn from our own mistakes, our own sins, or we can learn from the mistakes and the sins of others. And today, the good news is, we don't have to make the same mistakes. We don't have to commit the same sins that people committed from the past. So we look at chapter 2 of Second Peter, and we see a warning not to repeat sinning against God. We've said over the last three weeks that we are living in the last days. Since the resurrection of Jesus, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, we have been living in the last days. And this passage teaches us that as we learn from the sins of the past, we need to understand how to trust God's judgment. His judgment is a central theme for what we're going to be discussing today. And warnings are all over the Bible about severe consequences for not trusting God's judgment. It's so sad, but true, that especially in our generation today, we have created a culture that places very little value on trusting God's judgment. So keep that in mind as we look now at 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading with verse 4 and read down through verse 11, picking up where we left off last week. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. You read along silently as I read aloud. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, If God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. This is the word of the Lord to people of all ages. So we can trust God's judgment by learning from past sins and also learning from good choices that men and women from the past have made. So what does the Bible teach us about trusting God's judgment about sin? Four things we want to look at this morning about trusting God's judgment about sin. First of all, sin is rebellion against God. That's the simple definition 
of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Repeat the first part of verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned. Now, who are the angels? Well, God created angels to serve and worship Him. They were created beings, specifically created to worship God and to serve God. They're messengers from God. And many angels, unfortunately, rebelled against God. In Jude chapter 6 and verse 1, the half-brother of Jesus shares this warning. He said, And angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains until, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So again, now remember what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. And many angels rebelled against God. And so this is a warning against rebelling against God. Remember last week in verses 1 through 3, we talked about the fact that false teachers and false prophets had risen up preaching a false doctrine. And in the context of those verses, Peter gives this warning against rebelling against God. Here's what I believe. Rebelling against God is the most serious mistake that a human being can make. It's serious. You talk about warning signs when we see that, you know, the bridge is starting to turn, the, the poles come down and the lights start flashing that the swing bridge is about to turn. You drive through that and guess what? You're in big trouble. You're doomed. So this is a warning sign that God is giving us about rebelling against Him. And according to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, many angels rebelled against God. Rebellion might be blatant and egregious. Rebellion might be subtle and sneaky. But any form of rebellion leads to a serious consequence. And that serious consequence is separation from God. That's very, very, very serious. Every human since Adam has been born with a sin nature. We're selfish by nature. And that selfishness creates rebellion against God. That means that you and I, by nature, are self-serving. You don't have to teach a two- or three-year-old to be selfish, do you? Have you ever been around a two- and three-year-old? I mean, their whole world is built around themselves, and they're, they're self-centered, they're self-serving, they're selfish. Cute, lovable, but their nature is selfish and self-serving. So is mine, and so is yours. Our nature is to be selfish, and that leads to rebellion against God. We don't want anybody telling us how to think. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, how, what to do. We don't want anybody telling us what we have to believe. That's selfishness. That's self-centeredness. And that leads to rebellion against God. Had a friend, not a friend, but a 
uh, an idol, actually, a pastor once who was a part of the generation that I was growing up. He was a traveling evangelist. His name was Dr. Vance Havner. Great man of God. I heard him preach several times. And one sermon I heard him preach was entitled, Getting Used to the Dark. He said one day he was in Chicago. He went into the restaurant to have dinner. And he told the waitress when she came to his table, it's too dark in here. I can't see the menu. And she said, just sit here for a few minutes and your eyes will get used to the dark. Church, we live in a generation where our rebellion against God is like that. We've gotten used to the culture around us. We've gotten used to the sin and the darkness around us. And Simon Peter today is warning us that it's dangerous to get used to the dark. It's dangerous to not recognize sin when it creeps at the door and creeps into your life. I mean, I don't, have to, I don't have to dwell on this point. I don't have to dwell on the fact that, you know, things that used to be totally condemned are sifted into our culture today and we've accepted them. Sunday's just another day. It's just another day. I mean... You know, we don't, we don't take seriously the day to set aside to worship the Lord and to, to sanctify the day as set apart to knowing Him and loving Him and serving Him and worshiping Him, those, those kinds of things. And much more serious things that we'll talk about today have drifted into our culture. So sin is rebellion against God. Secondly, in verses 4 and 5, we see that sin will be judged. Again, verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So the Bible is very clear here. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. But hell is real. Hell is the place that those who rebel against God ultimately will spend eternity. There's a warning here. It's a serious warning. The Bible is clear in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. The Bible says, Be sure your sin will find you out. So I want to bring an awareness today about rebellion against God in our own personal lives that is serious. And it will find us out. You can't hide your sin from God. Sin is rebellion against God and sin will be judged. The Bible says that rebellion against God is death. The wages of sin is death. When you die here on this earth, you're separated from life. When you sin on this earth, it separates you from God. Your relationship with God dies. And there's a warning here against that. That means temporal death as well as eternal separation from God. That's the cost of sin. So heed Peter's warning. 
false teachers in Simon Peter's day as well as in our day are going to fall under judgment for teaching and following a false doctrine that winks at sin, that winks at rebellion against God. We're going to face the same judgment in this context. We're going to face the same judgment if we live life separated from God and go into eternity separated from God that the fallen angels received. Eternal separation from God and judgment. So what is that final judgment in verse 4 until the judgment? What does that judgment look like? Well, Jesus described it. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus describes the final judgment by saying, and I quote, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See, hell wasn't prepared for you. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if you choose to rebel against God and go into eternity rebelling against God, your fate is going to be the same as the fallen angels. Eternity in hell. Rebellion will be judged. So back to verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says that God preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others. So Peter's audience needed to hear that God eternally knows and protects those who are faithful to Him. All sin will be punished. Those who trust God's judgment will be rescued and preserved by God's grace. And that's good news. There's a warning. There's also an attraction to heed the warning and follow God's plan. See, the ark, Noah spent his lifetime investing in building an ark for the preservation of life on this earth. And the ark is symbolic of Jesus. It's one of the first pictures of Jesus that we have in the Bible, as a matter of fact. I was born a rebellious sinner. You were born a rebellious sinner. The world of sin around us draws us away from God. Like a magnet pulling us away from God. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand that? It's our nature to be selfish. It's our nature to not run to God, but to run away from God. And there's a cost for that. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Again, that's temporal separation from God on this earth as well as permanent separation for eternity. So if there's none righteous, if all are sinners, if the wages of sin is death, then it's hopeless, isn't it? No, but there's good news. There's the ark there. The last part of verse 23 of Romans chapter 6 says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God has provided a way for us to run to the ark. And that's what I'm challenging each of us to make sure we've done today or make sure you do today. Just as in Noah's day, 
Sin will be judged. Sin was judged. Today, sin will be judged. And the flood of judgment will fall upon all who live in rebellion against God. That's everyone. My sin will be judged. Your sin will be judged. But there's an opportunity for there to be a difference. If you stand before God in your own righteousness, you're doomed. But if you stand before God in the ark, in the righteousness of Jesus, you're saved. You're safe. You're eternally preserved. So I want to challenge you today to let God, the righteous judge, who makes no mistakes, draw you into the ark so that you don't have to stand on your own when you stand before God at the final judgment. Be like Noah. Enter the ark for safety. Even if you have to stand alone, run into the ark, run to Jesus. Number three, I want to remind us that according to Simon Peter in verses 6 through 8, we have another example of the reality of rebellion against God. And that is that sin is costly. Number three, sin is costly. And if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Now, we have to have a little background. Simon Peter evidently was very familiar with Genesis. He's talked about Noah. He's talked about the fallen angels in Genesis chapter 6. And now he takes us to Genesis chapters 12 through 18. In Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to a man named Abram. And God calls Abram to leave his home in Ur and go to a place where God's going to show him. He doesn't tell him where he's going to go. Abram follows God's direction, and he decides to take with him his nephew, Lot. And in Genesis chapter 13, we have a description that God blessed Abram and God blessed Lot. Their flocks multiplied to the point where they couldn't survive alone. And so, Lot and Abraham stood on the top of a mountain... They looked to the right, they looked to the left. Abram said, Lot, you choose which side you want to go to. And Lot chose to go to the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah because they were beautiful. They were lush, green pastures, beautiful piece of land. So he carried his crops, his, his flocks there, and continued with his life separated from Abram. Now, to make the long story short, we shift to Genesis chapters 18 and 19. The problem with Sodom and Gomorrah was the land was filled with ungodly people, wicked people, people who totally rebelled against God. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham decides that he's going to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah for Lot. Abraham said to God, God, if you can find 50 righteous people, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? God said, no, if you can find 50, I won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. 
Abraham said, okay, what about 40? <laughs> what about 30? What about 20? They could not even find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God's judgment fell on the people and the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And just as Simon Peter points out here, the land to this day is desolate. It's the area around the Dead Sea. God's judgment fell because God's people had rebelled against God and sin was judged and sin is costly. It costs them everything. Now often this view of Lot in this text is taken negatively. Uh, awesome, often people look at Lot and feel like that he failed. But that's not Simon Peter's uh, view. Simon Peter's view is that Lot was a righteous man and thus God saved him because of righteousness. Um, in verses 6 through 8, we see where God spared a remnant who trusted His judgment. He spared Lot and He spared the remnant. Verse 6 says, If by turning to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So there's a warning for you and me here today. Do we want to end up in destruction? a part of the ungodly. The warning is, wake up, Palmetto Shores. Wake up to the rebellion against God around you. We have an example to follow. Then in verse 7, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Now stop there for a minute. We need to talk about sensual conduct. Sensual conduct is any sexual sin that has as a part of it no restraint or no shame. And that was the lifestyle of the people that made up Sodom and Gomorrah. Reality is, sensual conduct is serious. And hasn't it just become a part of the culture of the world in which we know at least here in America today. See, the Bible clearly teaches that any form of sexual intercourse, except between one man and one woman who are committed together in marriage, is rebellion against God. It's sensual conduct that brings damnation and condemnation upon any people, upon any nation. Peter described Lot's day as that kind of day. And how could I be true to God's Word and not say, wake up, America, wake up. Palmetto Shores, we need to be aware that living together without being married is ungodly conduct. And we need to stand on the truth of God's Word and Heed the warning that God has given us. But Peter described Lot as a righteous man. God saved Lot 
just like God will save his own. In verse 8, he says, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Are you tormented today over the grievous sin of our community? I pray that as a believer, something inside you just turns sideways when you hear of the ungodliness that's going on in our community today, in our culture, in our world today. Many are tormented today by grievous sin. But understand this, the wicked will be punished. And we don't celebrate that. But it's a fact. Every culture, including ours, is tormented by sins of our society. Crime and illegal drugs and misappropriation of using drugs. Abuse of any kind, cruelties, injustices. We've been reminded so frequently this year of heinous crime that's going on in our country, taking the lives of innocent people, especially children. But any form of rebellion against God is serious and it will be judged and there's a cost. Any form of sensual conduct should torment our souls. We should be greatly distressed. We should have terror in our souls over any form of rebellion against God. And Simon Peter continues to warn us and warn us and warn us. Unfortunately, almost to the point where we don't even hear the warning. Don't let that be you. Where does change begin? Well, change begins with terror in the soul. With appreciating the warning that God is giving. By being greatly distressed over the sin in your own life. And I be greatly distressed over the sin in my life. And be quick to confess it and repent of it. And turn away from it and turn to God. Because that's where change begins. Change begins with an awareness of sin. And a terror in our soul. Being greatly distressed about sin. If you go back to chapter 1 of Second Peter that we looked at a few weeks ago, and you look at verses 3 through 8, I'd like to challenge you to do that. I'd like to challenge you to go back and look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, sometime today, and compare that with your life. Is your life a life of godliness? Or have you been blinded by the society around us like many people in Simon Peter's day had been blinded. Because sin is costly to individuals who have been blinded by rebellion against God. And sin will be judged. But finally, again, there's some more good news in this passage. Look at verses 9 through 11. First of all, verse 9. Sin has a rescue. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. See, God has provided a remedy for rebellion against Him. He's created a rescue plan. 
Only when you trust Jesus are you going to be rescued. Only when you put your life into the ark as God draws you to himself. Put your life in the life of Jesus. Only then will you be rescued. Rebellious angels did not get away with sin against God. People in Noah's generation did not get away with rebellion against God. People during Lot's generation did not get away with rebellion against God. And on and on and on I could go to Simon Peter in the first century. People in Simon Peter's day did not get away with rebellion against God. Why would people today think it's going to be any different? There's a clear warning here, a clear wake-up call here. It's horrible news for sinners when the message is so clear that rebellion against God has a cost, and that cost is eternity separated from God in hell. It's worse than any hurricane that could ever hit our country, our land, our community. But then there's this great news. God keeps a track of abusers, but He also has a Lamb's Book of Life where everyone who has put their life in Jesus, where everyone has said, God, I understand that I'm a sinner and I stand guilty before You. I understand that my sin has separated me from You and I understand that I trust Jesus to be my Savior. I believe in Jesus. I repent of my sin, turn away from my sin. I want the rest of my life to celebrate life in you. When you come to that point and you place your life in the ark, you place your life in the life of Jesus, God extends to you His mercy and grace. Just like He extended to Noah and Lot and Simon Peter and every person that we've referenced today, saved by the righteousness of God, today He wants to save you by His mercy and by His grace that He extends to you in Jesus. Noah and Lot and even Simon Peter were willing to stand alone, to stand against culture, to stand against the evil of their day. And they they stood true and they stood strong And so can you. I trust that will be the picture of your life and my life today. Yes, the world was testing Peter. The world was testing believers of the first century. Jesus reminded us in John chapter 15 that Christianity does not offer a trial-free life. He said, this is what Jesus said. He said, the world hated me And when you believe and follow me, the world's going to hate you. So expect it. Expect when you follow Jesus to be standing alone. Expect when you follow Jesus that it's not going to be a bed of roses. But Noah obeyed God and became an outcast. He was perceived as a fool and likely you will be as well by your peers. He had to choose the approval of man or the approval of God. And fortunately, he chose the approval of God. And I pray that that will be your choice 
as well. In verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 2, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Then look at verse 10. This is especially true of those who indulge in the, last, in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Behold, uh, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. See, false prophets were teaching in the first century that Christian freedom was placed above godly behavior. And Simon Peter was saying, that's not the way it works. He was saying, if, if you're drawn to the arms of the loving Father, and if you know Him, if you truly know Him, you want your life to produce godly fruit. You want others to be able to look at you and see the picture of the true and living God. And that should be the testimony of your life as well. These false teachers and people who followed false teaching were practicing and promoting indulgences in sexual promiscuity, homosexuality, immorality, all kinds of sexual perversion. And Peter was putting up a warning sign saying, No, no, don't fall for that trap. Stand firm in Jesus. And let godly behavior be the testimony of your life. Don't ignore spiritual authorities. Don't ignore God's Word when it comes to living according to godliness. And these people had fallen into the trap of even slandering believers who were true to God's Word. So what kind of picture is being painted in our culture today? See, the power of Satan is real. His track record is clear. From the beginning of time on this earth, he has tried to destroy God's plan for creating people who would love God with all their heart and be true to following him. Satan knows when you trust Jesus that he's lost your soul. God doesn't save you and then take his salvation back. So Satan knows he's lost his soul, but he turns up the heat on trying to destroy your testimony for God. When you become a believer in Christ, Satan is going to come after you. Evil is going to come after you to try to destroy your testimony. You have a rescue. You have a refuge in Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you today to turn to Jesus. Give Him control of your life. James chapter 4 says it so clearly. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So what's the rescue plan? Resist the devil and watch him run. Draw near to God and watch God throw His arms open wide and bring you into His loving arms and give you victory in life. But the warning here in verse 11 is to know your limits. In verse 11, 
He says, Wherefore angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Walk close to Jesus. Let Him fight battles for you that only He can fight. The book of Jude is just one chapter in verse 9. It says this, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. See, there are some battles that God expects you to fight yourself. There are other battles that He expects you to resist the devil and let God fight those battles for you. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. Keep your focus on Jesus. Walk hand in hand with Him. Look up to Jesus in your greatest time of struggle. Corey Ten Boom was a survivor of the concentration camps in the 1940s. In her book, The Hiding Place, she shares a very special story. She said that she had been placed in the prison camp for trying to harbor the Jewish people from being destroyed by the German forces. In the prison camp, she saw her mom and her dad and her sister Betsy all die at the hands of cruel officers. She said God saved her life by putting her in a camp that was filled with lice. There were so many lice in the concentration camp that the, that the guards would not even come into where she was. They would take food and water and shove it under the front of the door and then leave and not even come inside. She said she thanked God for the lice. God used lice to save her life and give her a witness that lives to this day. Sin has a rescue plan, and His name is Jesus. So I encourage you today to turn to Jesus. Enter the ark of safety that comes by knowing Jesus. If you've never trusted Him before, right now, you can open your life up to Jesus and trust Him. If you know Him, I pray that your life will shine for Jesus from this day forward. That you will be a godly testimony and witness for Him. There's a warning against those who rebel against God. Heed that warning today. And don't be ashamed to share that warning with those around you. We'll pick up here next week with the same thought. So by application, very simple, the title of the message today you can trust God's judgment. So run to Him today. God punished rebellion in the past and He's going to punish rebellion in the future. So trust His judgment. Learn from the sins of the past. You don't have to repeat them. 
I'm so thankful for God's grace and God's forgiveness. And that just brings us back to where we started. Gail and I continue to learn from past mistakes so we don't make the same mistakes again. I pray we'll heed Peter's warning and trust God's judgment. Trust His guidance. Run to Him today. Would you pray with me? God, thank You that You call us to Yourself today. And sometimes when we open Your Word and we read about Your love and Your mercy and Your forgiveness, we celebrate that. And then sometimes, God, we... We look at your word and we see the warning there and we realize that we need to heed that warning. But we also need to let our lives flash warning lights to others around us that might be being drawn into the lures of Satan into rebellion against you that at least they need to hear a warning about. And so, God, I pray today that you will help us to run to you. Help us to realize that we can celebrate the fact that we can come out of darkness and live in light. And I pray that will be the story of our life. And in the next few minutes, God, as you work in our life, I pray that we will commit our life fully to you. God, I pray that there's someone here who's never responded to your gospel and you're Prick in their heart today that they'll hang around and talk to us after this service today and commit their life to knowing you and following you. And then, God, I pray for all of us. I pray that you will affirm our commitment to live lives that are godly, that demonstrate what you look like in this world today, just like Jesus did. And we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.